Good morning, everyone. That's better. It really is uh, good to be together today, isn't it? And uh, just before getting into today's message, I just want to take this opportunity, if I may, to say how privileged Dorothy and I feel um, to be proposed to the church, to be recognized to serve under the elders as pastoral deacons for this uh, new season in our lives and ministry. Forty years ago this month, Dorothy and I obeyed the call of God and left the local Salvation Army and we began to meet in our home with just a handful of believers, which then became one of the first recognized charismatic churches in Colchester. I, I share that not to draw attention to ourselves, but to encourage you all, small steps of obedience can lead to significant things in God's purposes. And this led to us having a wider ministry, including into a number of African nations, the Philippines, Poland and Ireland, where we still regularly visit and minister. And he was agreed, as Al just said this morning, that Dorothy and I will share this preach. And I believe that's quite significant because in the very early years of our church, Dorothy was prophesied over, she doesn't know I'm going to say this, that she would be a mother in Israel. And the prophetic person explained that Israel consisted of many tribes, so she would become a spiritual mother, to, not just to our church, but also to other tribes, as it were, of God's people. And so it's a privilege today for us together to launch a new teaching series. So I want to start unusually, at least unusually for me, by asking you some questions for you to think about, momentarily of course. Firstly, whose responsibility do you believe it is to greet people and make them feel welcome on Sunday morning? The hospitality team? Or maybe the elders? Or possibly the life group leaders? What do you think? See, the, the answer is, it's your responsibility. If you consider yourself to be a regular part of Redeemer, it's all our responsibility together, isn't it? Now, as born-again children of God, through faith in Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, we, of course, are cared for by God, our loving Heavenly Father. Dorothy and I were looking at some old stuff on YouTube last night and there's a song that was a favourite of ours many years about, about the God who cares. And I said, that would have been a great song, darling, but no one would know it. <laughs> but God cares for us, doesn't he? He really does care for us in all kinds of ways, including through belonging to a recognised part of Christ's church, such as Redeemer Church. And so my second question is, whose responsibility is it to care for you in the Redeemer Church family? And there isn't one answer. It's a multiple answer. Because the Bible reveals three primary aspects to God's provision for the care of believers. We are each to care for ourselves. Secondly, appointed elders are to care as shepherds of God's flock, assisted by leaders they delegate the responsibility to, such as in Redeemer, 
the life group leaders. And thirdly, we are to care for one another. And of course, we could add a fourth one specifically for parents who have particular responsibility to care for their children. Now, I would suggest to you that in a healthy family household, it's one where not only the parents care, but where everyone cares, where the children have been brought up to understand they also can care and love one another. And in a similar way, in a healthy church, it's one in which the members care for one another. And today we're beginning a four-week-long teaching series looking at some of the New Testament practical one-another exhortations as to how we are to care for one another. The Greek word translated as one another or each other appears over 50 times in the New Testament as a specific command teaching us how and how not to relate to one another as a Christian community. And whilst these New Testament one another exhortations tend to be in the context of church as a family or community of believers, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul uses a different analogy of church being like the human body. In the words of the message paraphrase, Paul says, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as church. Every part dependent on every other part. Just think about it. Just look around. We are dependent on each other. That's how God intends it to be. And so let's read some selective verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm using the New International Version. Commencing in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 12, 14, and then jumping down for the sake of time to verse 21. Verse 14 says this, Now the body, talking of the human body, is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 21, The eye therefore cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, whilst our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you... We are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. From verse 27, it's very clear that Paul is saying to the church in Corinth that in a similar way to how the human body is designed, 
you, a local church, congregation, collectively, such as ourselves, is a body, the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And with that understanding, I want us just to look specifically at verse 25 and looking at different translations because they give insight to us. The New International Version, which I just read from, speaks of how God has designed the human body so that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Note that word, concern. The Amplified Version, however, says that God designed God's design is for the members of the human body to have a mutual interest and care for one another. And in a similar way, that is God's intention for a body of Christian believers such as ourselves. And so I believe that the analogy of the human body provides us with three helpful principles which when practiced will help activate us into caring for one another in the way which God intends. And the three foundations, you'd expect me to have some alliteration, wouldn't you? The three foundations are one, connection with one another. Secondly, concern for one another. And thirdly, care of one another. Firstly then, connection. Just as with the human body, to be a meaningful part of local church, you must be joined. My lower arm is joined to my upper palm. They relate to each other. In Ephesians 4.16, Paul speaks of how just as in the physical body, so each part in Christ's body, the church, is held together by two things, by joints and supporting ligaments. Our commitment to one another acts like the ligaments in our physical body, helping to hold our joints of relationship together and in good working order. You know, you can strain your ligament in the natural. Things can become strained in relationships, but if we're committed to each other, we're, we stay together. We don't get out of joint with each other. You understand what I'm saying? In the context of church, as a body, I honestly believe that connection necessitates two ongoing actions. Namely, one, to be in contact with one another, and secondly, to engage in conversation with one another. Including, I've been provoked this morning out, including conversation with the children and the young people. Contact and conversation. Two buzzwords, if you like but they, don't, they need to go beyond being buzzwords to us being active in contact and conversation. And of course, there are many, many ways with modern technology and social media that we can stay connected with one another. I know some of you are surprised I even know that. <laughs> but listen, to have a conversation by phone, or better still in person, is by far the best. To meet up in person goes so much further, in my experience, in forming and strengthening relationships. It can be more costly in terms of time and effort, but it communicates more powerfully that you care about someone. 1 Peter 4.9 urges us to offer hospitality to one another. In fact, I think it says without grumbling, doesn't it? 
We're to do it because we want to do it, because we want to get to know one another, because we want to connect with one another. Now, let me be very clear. The essence of hospitality is about friendship. It's not whether you can turn out the best food, although I like good food. <laughs> it's about friendship. Let's not get into competing with who can turn out the best meal, but practice hospitality because it builds connection. It gets us to know one another. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, says that whilst in the past God spoke to mankind through the prophets, he ultimately showed the extent of just how much he cared for us by sending his son in person. He so loved us that as we sang in one of the songs, he stepped down. He actually visited us and he spent a lot of time with people, often over a meal. Earlier I referred to how the Amplified Version of this verse, verse 25, speaks of how God's design is for the members of a body, both the human body and in the body of Christ, to have a mutual interest in one another. And I'd like to suggest that to have a mutual interest in one another, it necessitates we have to get to know one another. Which, let's be honest, in a church the size of Redeemer is challenging. It's thus so, so important for everyone to be an active part of a life group as well as serving wherever possible on a serving team. So that you can be meaningfully connected with others in the body. Regular attendance and participation at a life group is such a great help to getting to know others in the body of believers. And of course, it also enables them to get to know you. For many years, Dorothy and I were blessed to know a lovely pastoral couple who passed to the Baptist church in Suffolk. They saw quite a move of God there years ago. They're both gone to be with the Lord now, but they used to joke that to be a good pastor, it helped if you were a bit nosy. <laughs> the husband would joke, that the reason his wife knew so much about people in their church was that she was nosy. But her response was more biblical than that. She, she responded, I'm not nosy, I'm just interested in people. And as 1 Corinthians 12, 25, the Amplified Version points out, the care of one another begins with showing interest in one another, in one another's families, in their work, in their well-being, in their joys as well as their struggles in our desire as a church family to be all that the Lord wants us to be. I want to urge us all, including myself, beginning with myself, to strengthen our connections with each other through contact as your circumstances permit and through conversation, getting to know one another, sharing in others' joys as well as their struggles. For the Lord wants our relationships to be more than just healthy connections. He wants our connections with one another to move to a concern for one another. We saw how in the NIV version of 1 Corinthians 12, 25, it speaks of how God intends the parts of the body should have equal concern for each other. Friendliness and showing interest in one another are great first steps, but our connections with each other need to develop 
from merely connecting with one another to showing genuine concern for one another. You know, I'm sure you all realize, but let me say it. To be concerned for someone goes further than just showing a passing interest in them on a Sunday or some other time when you just happen to bump into them. To be concerned for someone means to get involved in some way in their well-being, whether that be spiritual, emotional, health, relational struggles, material needs, or physical health. This does mean, however, that for people to be able to show genuine concern for you, you might have to be willing to make yourself vulnerable and admit there's some things that you struggle with. To trust the people, I mean, not to everyone. In the days of the very early charismatic movement, of which churches like Redeemer owe their history to, we used to sing a simple song. I don't know whether Ian and Marjorie will remember this. This, was, this wasn't some kind of trite song, and it wasn't a worship song, but this came out of the revelation that the Spirit of God had brought at that time to people that had come out of traditional denominational churches that were looking at one another's backs and one another's heads. This was a very popular song. Let us open up our lives to one another without fear of being hurt or turned away. For we need to confess our weaknesses, be covered by each other's love. I recognize that some of you may have had some bad experiences of making yourself vulnerable in the past, which makes opening up to others particularly difficult. But I feel the Lord wants me to encourage you that with his help, begin to trust again. Build relationally through being part of a life group and in other ways. I'm not suggesting we should share everything with everyone, but the Lord does want to strengthen our connections and our concern for one another. And it's so, so important we get bigger because no one, even five elders, can look after everyone. What about care for one another? In a similar way to how the Amplified Version puts it, the New King James Version, which is a more literal translation of the Greek, also says of 1 Corinthians 12, 25, how God has designed things so that the members of the body have the same care for one another. Whilst Galatians 6, 5 teaches us that we are each to bear our own load in life, Verse 2 of the same chapter urges us to help bear one another's burdens as part of our care for one another, whether that be through supportive prayer or, or in other ways. To care for another goes further than just connecting with one another. In fact, it goes even further than concern for one another. To truly care for someone means taking a measure of responsibility to see that a member of the body who has a need of support in some way gets the help they need, whether that be from yourself or whether you see that someone else provides it. There are many, many ways in which we can show concern and care, including prayer, 
practical assistance, meeting up, sending of encouraging texts, much of which I suspect will be spoken of in the next three weeks. But for today, I've simply felt that I should emphasise as an introduction to this series the importance of us seeking to practice and strengthen the three C's which are drawn from 1 Corinthians 12.25, namely connection with one another, concern for one another, and care of one another, so that we grow to become all that the Lord desires us to be as his body. And so I want to encourage you today. Will you decide, with God's help, to take some practical steps to strengthen your connection with others? It may just be with one or two people. To show more concern for others and to support others with appropriate care. And in seeking to strengthen our relationships and our care of one another, we will experience some challenges. And so Dorothy's going to share on three challenges which we will probably all encounter as we move forward together as the Redeemer family. Okay, so as Roy has indicated, um, I'm going to speak briefly on three of the challenges of the one another commands of the New Testament. Um, we have decided that having been married for over 55 years, I'm well qualified to speak on the challenges of frustrations with each other's faults and failings and the challenges, challenges of showing forbearance and, of course, extending forgiveness to each other. And um, although I'll be primarily addressing the challenges in the context of the church here, most of what I share will also have an application with other relationships, especially in marriage and family life. So firstly, frustrations. Have you ever witnessed someone getting impatient, maybe at the store checkout, um, when you're waiting to pay and get out the store and someone's having a, a long chat with the person on the till? Or maybe um, you've been guilty, um, you know, of getting impatient with a driver coming up behind you and honking you because they want you to go faster. Or maybe you've been guilty of being the one of sounding your horn out of frustration with another driver. And um, yes, this happened to me this week. Uh, I was going round, you know, we have multiple roundabouts in Colchester and the ones near Tesco Hive and Grinstead, multiple roundabouts there. And it amazes me how many people do not know that on a roundabout you give way to people on the right. <laughs> and so I was approaching this roundabout and a car suddenly cut right in front of me. And I, <laughs> I'm ashamed to say this, I blasted my horn and in my head I'm saying, idiot. <laughs> so I'm confessing my sins to you this morning. <laughs> and then as I drove by, I drove on. I said to the Lord, oh, I'm really, really sorry. Please forgive me, especially as I know what I was going to be speaking on. So that is a really up-to-date thing. <laughs> so maybe you've even thought how much easier life would be if everyone was like me. Um, you know, it would mean that 
other children, other people, your husband, other people, whatever, would be so much less irritating and frustrating in the things they do. Whilst the psalmist says in Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, let's be honest, sometimes the things that make each other different can frustrate us rather than be appreciated by us. The reality is that none of us, even as Christians, we're not perfect. We all have our faults and failings by our own limited or even biased perspective. Some seem to have more than others, though. And personally, I think it's very perceptive of Jesus to point out that we tend to see the small faults in others, but we fail to see the plank in our own eye. Our, you know, often our, our things are much bigger than the people that we get frustrated with. And so Jesus, um, he did speak about that, about, um, yeah, taking a look at uh, ourselves. And so in a church life, Hours with people of different ages, different cultures, different church backgrounds. While this provides a richness, a richness of diversity in so many ways, our differences compose the problems for us in our relationships and working together. You know, different dialects, and um, sometimes we can mishear as well what people say. And of course, the younger generation use different expressions, which are new to those who are of the older generation. I've got a really good example of this. Someone in the church had a, a kind of plumbing problem with a tap, I think, and our, one of our grandsons, he's an apprentice plumber. So I texted him and said, Jake, would you be interested in perhaps trying to sort out this problem? The text came back, I'm good, thanks. All right. So I texted him back and I said, I think you've just sent me a message that was probably meant for somebody else. <laughs> uh, he came back and said, no, no, that was for you. So I found out since then that means I'm okay as I am. You know, I don't need this extra work. And But I'm good. No, it didn't really make sense to me. <laughs> so many things can be a potential source of frustration, can't they? And... Um, it's a sad case of how Cain's uncontrolled frustration led to much uncontrolled anger and ended up with him murdering his own brother. And so Genesis, in Genesis 4, there, it's a reminder of how important it is that we deal quickly with wrong attitudes and frustrations. And therefore, we are taught that as believers, we're not to be frustrated with one another, but instead to be forbearing of one another. Which leads me on to the next point. It's forbearing, forbearance towards one another. It's quite an old-fashioned word, isn't it, really? But it is a godly quality. And in Romans 3, verse 25 to 26, it speaks there of God's forbearance towards us. And in some Bible translations, forbearance is listed as a, group, as, as, as a fruit of the spirits. It's fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5. Um, which is translated um, as patience, actually, in newer translations. So to forbear is defined as to refine, sorry, to retrain, sorry, to, re to refrain from doing or saying things, to exercise self-control, patience and restraint. One commentator says that to be forbearing is literally 
to hold back our natural fleshly reactions to each other's faults. You know, sometimes when relating together, whether it can be a discussion in a life group meeting or serving in a team, it's sometimes better to hold up, to hold back and not to get drawn into potential controversy. But it's helpful, you know, that we recognise that sometimes people can be difficult because they are hurting. You know, often I always like to think that when people react in a certain way that's not nice, there's very often a reason why they behave in that way. It can be past hurts or something like that. And so, um, you know, we need to show them uh, perhaps an extra measure of love and grace. And in Ephesians 4, verse 1 and 2, Paul urges us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received as God's people by being humble and gentle with one another, bearing or, or forbearing with one another in love. You know, the word is all about being tolerant and putting up with others' faults. Having said that, of course, there is always a time and a place to lovingly challenge one another with regards to attitudes and, and behavior. We are to relate to one another with a humble attitude in a gentle way and with patience. You know, Holy Spirit, help us to be able to develop that so that we are gracious with one another, um, especially in things where we see things differently, those things which they're neither wrong or right, they're, they're just different. Now, to be forbearing with one another will undoubtedly mean at times to, that we will have to forgive one another. So, forgiveness of one another. In Colossians 3, verse 13, Paul links forbearing with forgiving. And the NIV version says, bear, that is to say forbear with each other and forgive Whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, over many years of church leadership, come across quite a few people who love to nurse and rehearse their hurts. You know, they can go on and on. It almost becomes their identity, but we're not to nurse and rehearse um, grievances that we might have against one another. We are to forgive as the Lord forgave us. You know, how did he forgive us? Well, freely, totally, unreservedly, and forever. You know, God no longer remembers our sins, not because he has a bad memory, like we might have, especially as we get older, but because he chooses not to remember our sins. And he doesn't bring them up against us. Again, I don't know about you, but I am so grateful to God that he doesn't bring up my sins and all the things in my past and hits me with them again. And he wants us to treat one another in a similar way, to choose to forgive. And I say forget, I don't think in one sense, unless God does it supernaturally, we ever forget. We ever forget. And sometimes that can happen, but we, choo we still choose to forgive. And it's not an emotion. It's a choice. You know, forgiving someone be, uh, starts with a decision to forgive. Sometimes it can be like peeling an onion. You forgive as best you know how, and then you discover another layer. There's this now, peeling the level, peeling the 
um, layers off the onion. And I don't know about you, but when you're dealing with onions, often tears come. So as you choose to forgive, there can be flowing of tears as well. And it can be a painful, tearful process. But it's so important, though, because of the many uh, consequences for us of not totally forgiven, which are spoken of in the Bible. So I just want to look at now some consequences of not forgiving others. One is that I've chosen to speak on is it will hinder your prayers. Mark 11 verse 25 says, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive so that your heavenly Father can forgive you. Jesus, in the teaching of the disciples on prayer, said, if you do not forgive men their sins, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. That's quite scary, isn't it? If we don't forgive others, he's not going to forgive us. And um, yes, so that is just something to, to ponder on. And then secondly, unforgiveness will cause a blockage to the life of God in you and from flowing out to others. And um, I don't know if you've ever had a block sink or a drain pipe or whatever. Um, if that pipe is blocked or your sink's blocked, nothing can flow, flow out of it, can it? And um, it's like having a block pipe. And I just want to share something, um, just a personal example I can give of that. It just came to me since I've actually prepared this message. Um, my parents, both part, they were both Christian, Salvation Army ministers, actually. And they both passed away when I was in my early 30s. Um, but when I was in my later 30s, um, and I'd been baptized in the Spirit um, a year before, I desperately wanted to be able to speak pray in tongues and for a year it just it just hadn't it just hadn't happened and then one day I, I was upstairs and I just felt it wasn't an audible voice but I felt the Lord saying you need you, forgive your parents now in a sense that didn't make sense to me because I wasn't conscious I'd held on to any form of unforgiveness towards them they were lovely godly people but nevertheless I, I'd received this word and I can remember I knelt down by the side of the bed and I said, Mum, Dad, I, I want to forgive you for decisions that you made that affected my life and caused a lot of pain. And as I did that, I then I just started praying in tongues. And it was such a such relief for me. Now, I'm not saying every time we forgive people we're going to get our prayers answered immediately. But I'm just saying, for me, I wasn't really aware that there was a blockage there, but God had pinpointed it, and I, and I chose to forgive. Sadly, as I say, they're gone to be the Lord, so I couldn't go to them and say, Mum, Dad, I forgive you for things um, that had happened. So that's very important, you know, because it will also block the outflow of the life of God to other people. And then, you know, unforgiveness can so quickly turn to bitterness, can't it? Um, if it's allowed to take root in your life. How many times do you see people, they've, they've gone through terrible 
terrible things, atrocities against them or their families, and you hear them, you see them on television say, I'll never forgive, I'll never forgive. And it really, it hurts me, it really does when I hear people say that I will never, never forgive. So that is very important. Also, um, in Hebrews 12, it warns us that if it can result in us causing trouble in the church and actually defiling others. You know, other people can be tainted by your unforgiveness. And then thirdly, unforgiveness will hinder the development of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. And although it's not mentioned particularly in Galatians 5, in my view, unforgiveness is actually an act of the sinful nature but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control and fourthly unforgiveness can harm your general well-being you know unforgiveness can be the root of some physical conditions as well uh, as well as seriously affecting emotional and mental health. I've heard over the years people that have, um, not in any churches that I've been in, but um, maybe it's in these big crusades where people have gone forward and they've been crippled with arthritis and the person praying with them has had a, a word of knowledge about is there someone you need to forgive and, and they choose to forgive and yeah, it has been instant almost, the, their joints have been freed and, and it's really great. So it can have um, a knock-on effect there. And in, in Matthew 18, we have a record there of one of Jesus' parables, the parable of the unmerciful or unforgiving servant, um, which Jesus told in response to Peter asking him, how many times do I have to you know, forgive my brother? And he told this, uh, uh, the story of a servant who, um, ho who owed a very large sum of money, I assume, to his master. And the master had pity on him and cancelled the debt in full. However, when a fellow servant begged that servant for patience and repayment of his debt to him, and it was much smaller debt, he showed no mercy and had him thrown in prison. And then when the other servants saw what was happening, they reported this to the master. The master called the unmerciful servant to him and rebuked him. And in verse 34 of Matthew 18, it says that, In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. And verse 35 said, Jesus said, This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. You see, if you hold on to unforgiveness, you will be tortured in it one way or the other. Um, as I said earlier, it can lead to, to bitterness. Often it, it can actually show on people's faces. And um, whether that is emotionally or mentally um, tormenting you it, um, because you've not forgiven, it's going to have that effect um, even by harassing demonic spirits. We are to forgive and show the same mercy to our fellow servants, to one another, as Jesus has shown to us. And it can be helpful to recognize when there has been misunderstandings or offense committed against you that, you know, sometimes the offender, they don't, they're not even aware that they've hurt you. They're really, they're really not. Um, 
and I found that the prayer Jesus made from the cross to be very helpful. You, you may recall it. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is a great prayer. And sometimes people will hurt us. Um, they'll say things about us that aren't true. They're just not nice, not nice people particularly. Um, but, they're, uh, but they're not always aware of the deep hurt that they can cause because words can hurt, can't they? And so um, I think if Jesus could pray that prayer to forgive all that was inflicted on him, then I believe with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can choose to forgive one another, whether they hurt or wrong us intentionally. And let's face it, some people are just downright nasty <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, but some people, it will be unintentionally. And whilst, as I said earlier, there is a time and place to bring challenge to one another, we are generally to be forbearing of one another and make allowances for one another's faults. James urges us to confess our faults to one another and to pray for each other. I think it, I haven't got it in my notes. I think it goes on to say, um, confess your sins and faults that you may be healed. That can be physical healing. It can be emotional, spiritual healing. But there's a healing that comes, um, you know, if we're willing to open up ourselves to each other. And so as God's people, we are to be those who readily and freely forgive one another. And so really, in concluding, I, I just want to urge you with God's help to deal with attitudes of impatience and intolerance, which along with other things can perhaps cause you to be frustrated with certain people and instead you know let's let's do it the biblical way and be forbearing and forgiving with one another as we seek to strengthen our relationships and our concern and care for one another especially in the redeemer family but as i said at the start it has a wider reaching effect into our homes and family and other relationships